Well, hello everyone. Happy weekend. It's me, Cat B, and we're on another episode. In fact, episode five already. Can you believe that? Of Eat, Meditate, Live. Today, um, I'm quite excited about this episode because um, for the very first time, I will be having a guest and uh, I mentioned it on social media, particularly Instagram and I believe Facebook as well, my personal profile, that for the first time, like I said, I will be having a guest here on the show and I'm excited to talk about the topic because this is something that is really very important to me and at least the nearly three years that I've been doing this thing called meditation that I started to do since 2019. Um, For people who know me, like I said, or follow me on social media like Instagram and Facebook, not that I have many followers. I only have about like 1,600 or 1,600 followers on Instagram. But, um, and I go by Wandering Cat, K-A-A-T, Wandering, W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G-K-A-A-T. Um, if you follow me, my friends and my family who care enough to know that I have been meditating since um, 2019 or at the very least that I meditate. Um, unfortunately, fewer keen enough to ask what type of meditation I practice. If anything, um, to some that might be moot, like it's not an important, you know, thing for them to know. They just know that I meditate. And to some, the notion that meditation comes in one form and that even involves um, just sitting on some quiet corner, eyes closed, clearing the mind, concentrating is enough. And I respect that. And that's okay. But um, also, or I should say, also among the other things that I've heard are I can't meditate because I can't clear my mind or I don't have time or they ask questions like is that Hinduism or is it Buddhism you know things like that so I wanted to um, come up with this episode so that those who are actually interested to know the answers to this will have their answers at least from the perspective of the type of meditation that I do um, you know, there are, and of course, there are different answers to all these. And if you're focused on the idea of meditation as a whole and, you know, or like specific type of meditation, it really varies. So, but personally, um, I found meditation and meditating since I said, um, nearly three years ago, August of 2019 to be this thing that I included in my life routine that is easy and one that I would say I found to have changed me my views in life and towards a lot of things and the way I respond to things that happen in my life and all these things these are very important to me because if you know me I'm I can be batshit crazy I was batshit crazy especially working in New York where you know it's a high stress environment and all that and I like live with like high strong people and work in a very like high stress and environment you this person that you see right now more is more or less like a totally like not i shouldn't say totally but a person who's definitely you know better or different from the cat that a lot of people know me to be when i live in the east coast um 
I practice Transcendental Meditation, or TM. Um, this, I must say, is probably one of the best things I learned from John um, or since knowing John before we even married. Uh, definitely better than all the Indian spices that we now have at home or if I should up the ante, you know, better than the vanilla powder, which I started to have more since I started being with John. So, but I do give him credit. I did learn a lot of things from him and I would say prop, yeah, like I said, this, um, type of meditation or meditating is definitely one of the best things that I learned from him. Um, I learned transcendental meditation from John because he used to teach this when he lived in New York. Uh, this, he lived there for about nine years before he moved out here as well in 2019. Um, just as a caveat, we didn't know each other back then. Um, also he used to teach teachers who teach TM. And of course, like John has been practicing TM since he was, I think 19 or 20 and he's been um, like uh, practicing this for about 30 years now, I should, I must, I, I say. Uh, for those who also don't know, my husband, John Butler, he was a meditation monk, or should I say a celibate meditation monk, when um, he practiced, or where he practiced TM in the ashrams here in the US and the Himalayas. So that's part of his background. He was a celibate monk for 15 years uh, before he finally came, decided to come out again uh, from um, the ashram, I think is how you say it, or Purusha, and, you know, came to work as something else, doing computer stuff, and then on to becoming a meditation teacher in New York City. And um, as I mentioned earlier, meditation changed me. Uh, like I said, those who don't know me personally, they know, like, just so you know, I'm a very feisty, short-tempered, and quick to react, or I was, like, a very feisty, I'm still feisty, I think, but I was definitely more short-tempered and quick to react back then, and often, like, when I reacted, it was often heated. Sometimes I didn't even, like, think about what the repercussions are. I just said what I wanted to say. It's like, you know, diarrhea of the mouth kind of situation. Um, <clears throat> although I, again, another caveat, this is not to say that I don't get mad at a driver anymore who doesn't, you know, drive smart or I've become like this totally unworldly person who like gave up all like, you know, life's pleasures and life's like, luxuries and that's not to say I don't buy branded stuff anymore <laughs> I still do believe me but hey um because yeah at the end of the day I'm still human I love things I love a lot of stuff and I love to travel I love to eat fancy food once in a while I like fancy stuff once in a while I'm just being human and I don't you know and I have to yet meet that like really unworldly evolution like many monks um experience or have in their lives and um my evolution like that evolution into becoming that person who's like not thinking about material stuff and like worldly stuff is probably not going to happen in this lifetime but one thing for sure that i know 
is that meditation changed my many perspectives towards like I said life and many things and situations the way I you know react to things now is definitely different to how I used to react to something that triggered me in the past um, again it's not perfect but John himself is like is able to be a testament to that change in me and because of all these experiences, I want to share that with you, like all of you who have only seen me like on social media or occasions when I can barely even speak about the benefits of meditation. We're so rushed every day that we don't really get to talk to people and ask questions. And on social media, we barely even like talk about the essentials about certain things, about certain posts. We're only limited so much by the number of words that we can put out there. And honestly, John says my ruling planet when I was born is Mars. And I myself, like, I move so fast. I just like, boom, 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 done. Next. What's next? All right, done. Like, my attention span can be, like, so limited. So through this podcast, I wanted to share the things that I'm not able to talk to you about on social media and things that you might not even know about meditation and I'm hoping to do that in this episode today and um I just want to say like and as like a as a commoner in this practice because in the practice of transcendental meditation there are different I think I would say levels of practice um John is a siddha um, I'm only like an entry level kind of meditator. I took the basic meditation course and I have, you know, there are questions and experiences that I experience, which are like, whoa, what was that? Nothing like I wouldn't say is like, oh, it's, you know, magical or like a miracle or something, but as a commoner, um, you know, I, I started to ask these questions to John and let me cite an example <clears throat> like you know i've mentioned in my previous um uh episodes where oh i came up with this topic or this idea for this uh, this week's episode's um topic during my meditation you probably won't understand what i'm trying to say there because to you who doesn't practice tm or meditation i am not i can't speak you know for other types of types of meditation but you would probably wonder like Wait, wait, wait a minute. You're saying you thought about this idea during meditation. Why would you even think that when you're supposed to have your mind clear or you're supposed to have, you know, cleared your mind or not think about thoughts when you're meditating? So these are things that, you know, that have helped me a lot in my life. Like I come up with the best ideas of certain things, but unfortunately, I tend to forget them when I when I come out of meditation. But I asked John, like, why do I get this, like, really special, brilliant ideas when I'm meditating? And like I said, to you, as someone who doesn't practice it, you would wonder, like, yeah, why? Why would you even think about thoughts? Or, like, why would you have this these epiphanies when you're meditating? So those are the benefits that I want to talk to you about and the experiences that I'd like to share with you. And I'm, if you see me right now, I'm so passionate about this topic. 
and um, I, I want to be able to open your awareness on how much easier meditation can be when you've picked the right meditation technique as I have. And again, just a caveat, this is not to discredit other types of meditation. I We will talk, um, I'll have John as guest in this episode today um, to talk about med- like transcendental meditation to further like explain to you like through John how or why experience certain experiences that I have after and even while meditating all that and a lot more in a few seconds when I come back with John Butler As I promised, we have our guest today, John Butler, my husband, and one of the people I look up to when it comes to meditation. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks. So, John, um, before we even proceed about talking, um, proceed talking about um, transcendental meditation, which I talked about um, in the earlier part of this podcast um, episode. Tell me more about yourself. Tell me when you started meditating, what, um, how long you've been meditating, and YTM and the project that you're working on that brought you here in the Bay Area. How many hours do we have? Um, <laughs> that's, well. a, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm long-winded in my head, so I'll try to. Which is it, always is. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I was a seeker, meaning I wanted depth and truth and answers that I weren't was not getting from modern education as we know it in the West in public schools. Um, I thought that I would get the depth I was looking for in high school and I took psychology class and anything deep I could find which of course isn't a lot in high school offerings in most American cities or all of them. So then I thought oh it must be in college and I got to I went to a really cool liberal arts alternative college with really deep thinkers um, in the administration and amongst the faculty and I took a program that was a first year multidisciplinary approach to a deep topic which was human knowledge what is human knowledge and how do you get it and we looked at that topic from the lens of first like ancient astronomy you know patterns that were repeating that the ancients knew were true because they kept repeating and other ancient modalities for assessing knowledge. And then we moved into the Middle Ages and philosophy. And it was, it was so interesting, all the different ways we ended up thinking as students. They really challenged us to think on all the edges of where the mind can go. And we moved into the modern you know, critical thinking, cognitive psychology, uh, scientific method, physics, chemistry, math. And by the end, I felt like I had been deeply stimulated and it was so fascinating and I loved everything about that year, but I still felt like there was a giant layer that was missing from the education. I asked my professor, one of them that I respected perhaps the most, at the end, I asked him, what about consciousness? Where do the, we've gone everywhere the mind can go, but what's underneath the mind? 
What is mm -hmm. intuition? We never talked about intuition, and clearly that's a big thing. At least it was in my life. I noticed that intuition could deliver things, you know, instantly that were as deep as anything that could be touched by the thinking mind. And without addressing that, those mechanics, what that is, where it comes from, how it relates to thinking, I thought we haven't even addressed the foundation. What's the point of building a house when you don't even know what your foundation is? Um, so I dropped out of college and was seeking outside the box and I ended up thinking I was going to go to India because it was just the deepest place I could think of. I had a fascination for India and I didn't know why. Um, and You're I an old soul. <laughs> I thought I'll study the deepest thing I can think of and I thought, okay, fine, acupuncture. I'm going to India and I'm studying, studying acupuncture. I did not know that. Which is silly, the combo, but that, that was my plan and as a 19-year-old. And I met an Indian man in a restaurant in Boise, Idaho, and I asked him, excuse me, sir, where can I go to India and study acupuncture? <laughs> <laughs> I was just bold like that and simple. And he laughed and he said, well, if you want to go to India, you should study Ayurveda, which is an ancient healthcare mm -hmm. system, more than 5,000 years old. It's lasted so long because it, it, it has a lot of truth in it. Um, and he said, if you want to study acupuncture, you should go to China. I said, great, I'm going to India and Acu Ayurveda, I mean, is my new thing, without even knowing what that was. And I wrote to Indian Embassy in Washington, D.C., this is pre-internet, and asked for a list of all their schools. And they sent me a long, long list of all the schools in India that teach Ayurveda. It was hundreds or thousands, I can't remember, but, you know, printout, long, long, long paper. And I started writing them. I just started at the top of the list and started writing them one by one, asking you know, what the requirements were for admission and how to apply. And just at that time, I happened to read a book that was written by uh, Deepak Chopra. Mm -hmm. And many seekers will be aware of his work. And he used to study under a, what I would call a master, someone who'd really mastered so much of the human experience, a great teacher that had the title Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi. And so I ended up learning a lot about the things that Maharishi teach through Deepak's book. But I didn't know yet that there was this whole worldwide movement, this organization that was teaching the science and technologies and practical applications of this ancient Vedic tradition of knowledge from ancient India, of which Transcendental Meditation is just one of them, one of the things that has come out of that tradition. I had no idea. I just thought this book is so deep. It was about healing. It was called Quantum Healing and how healing has to begin in the mind. You can't address physical healing if you don't include the mind. Because, you know, when the Deepak was a doctor in hospitals, traditional Western allopathic hospitals, he noticed how much people's minds were affecting their healing. And when they were down, they would die faster. And when they were up, they would preserve, despite the odds, preserve their bodies. Even choosing their time of death, waiting for a certain other experience to have, like to meet a family member who was waiting to get there and, and greet them before they left. This kind of thing. And he tried to find out what it was at the roots of that healing process in terms of the mind's involvement. So I was so fascinated. I thought, this is, this is getting closer to what I want. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I was getting closer. So I, I, I tried to contact him. I found references in the back of the book that indicated where he might be, where he might be working. And I started calling around. And I remember calling one of his clinics. He had started a couple of clinics. Where and, was this? Mm, 1990. Where? 90. I was in Boise, Idaho, oh, okay. where I had had high school and had come back to after a year of college, the one I mentioned. And then I went to Boise State University, which was incredibly boring and 
dull, <laughs> dull and asleep by comparison. That's when I just said, to heck with college. They don't have it in this country, what I want. So I called up the clinic and I said, may I speak, please speak with Dr. Chopra? And the, just like that. And the secretary said, well, what do you want? And I told her, we've got to start a worldwide movement. This knowledge that he's teaching is so important. It has to be in the hands of everybody and I want to be part of that. That's pretty ambitious. <laughs> and she said, well, do you practice transcendental meditation? And at the time, I thought, this lady is annoying. Why didn't she just put on the doctor? And I said, well, uh, never mind. And I hung up, and I called another clinic, and I said, may I please speak with Dr. Chopra? <laughs> she said, the, the, the new secretary said the same thing. What do you want? And I told her, and she said, do you practice transcendental meditation? And then a little bell went off in my head. There, there's something to that. Mm. So I asked her, well, what is that? And she started to describe it to me. And I ended up getting interested, and she went through her Rolodex and produced a number of a Transcendental Meditation TM Center in Boise, Idaho. So I, I went to the TM Center and I attended the, the introductory lecture that they give to just expose people to what it is so they can make an informed decision about whether or not they want to learn it and practice it. And I realized very quickly because it was, without even yet starting the practice, even from that introductory talk, I felt, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I want. I wanted them to just finish already and start teaching us like never mind all these slides about the scientific research and the benefits just let's just start i knew i realized i didn't have to go to india that there was a teacher deepak's te teacher at the time who had already brought what i wanted over to the west there's tm centers everywhere in this country anywhere there's a large population people can learn so let's see, which of your questions, Kat, did I answer? <laughs> I answered how I found TM, right. how I got into meditation. And like after you started meditating, how, how did you feel? And what triggered you? I mentioned in the intro of this um, podcast episode that you had eventually gone off and gone away and lived in ashrams for many, many years, mm -hmm. which also... Um, led you to become a celibate monk for many years as well, 15 years, I think is what I said, or at least that's what I know um, yeah. that, you know, f from, you know, from being with you. Well, again, those are large questions that generate lots of content. I'll, again, try to be brief. You see, I'm not very good at being brief, but... Yeah, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did I feel? I felt like my, my life was starting. I felt since I was a baby, I didn't have the words, of course, as babies, we don't know how to even articulate to ourselves, but we do have feelings and intuitions even from birth. And I had feelings and intuition that now I would translate in English as knowing that life is enormous, infinite, magic, and that there's people on the planet who know how to live and how to master their consciousness and how to leverage laws of nature and feel absolutely fulfilled all the time. You know, that's a, that's a brainful for a baby, but I don't know how else to describe it. I felt like that, and I felt like that's what my life was about. Probably in those early abstract moments when we could, holistic glimpses of our life, even though it's so abstract, you could never describe it. And I, that feeling lingered throughout childhood and into school, and that's what led me to what I was describing earlier, is trying to find out where the knowledge was and looking for it in the alternative classes in high school and then in college. So once I started transcending, which is what happens if you follow instructions from a certified TM teacher, 
and practice, you will, you will transcend. And transcending means the spontaneous, effortless reduction of physical and mental activity that happens innocently as a byproduct of the practice of TM. And it feels like just sitting in a chair with your eyes closed, which is how we do it, and you're just getting more relaxed and more relaxed. You're doing a mental technique, but the byproduct of that mental technique is the body's getting more and more relaxed. And it gets to the point where it feels almost like falling asleep. There's, a, there's this, this kind of threshold comes where, at, at intervals, not in a calculated way, it just happens sometimes, that thought drops off. We get so relaxed in mind and body that the body is, is as if asleep in terms of how it feels just limp, like you don't even know where your arms are, or the, your body starts and stops and the chair starts and stops. You're kind of spread out all over. But also the mental activity is reduced to the point that one's not thinking. So imagine being deeply asleep but wide awake in the mind, how that feels. It's like that. And it happens very briefly, just for moments usually. But they're profound enough to deeply affect us in terms of benefits, you know, restfulness, peacefulness, lack of anxiety, um, clarity, intuition, holistic thinking, etc. Emotional balance, you know, in inspiring, uplifting kind of emotions re are replacing the downer kinds that we may have had before. And physically, restfulness, deep rest, even that we can't get in the same way even when we're deeply asleep. It's a different kind of rest when we transcend. It's unique. And it produces all kinds of a range of health benefits. And I'm not going to go into all that in this because Kat's really asking me about what I went through more than about the specifics of TM. But Although I do want to go back and <clears throat> touch on that once we're, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, moved on further in, in, in this podcast. But, but yeah. I, so I felt like I was getting these, these experiences and these benefits and taken together it made me feel like my life was starting like i knew since a baby that i was going to be getting onto something something huge and i still didn't know all about what it was that was happening to me but i knew it was happening and so i felt exhilarated alive just lit up like a rocket ship that had been lit and i was just taking off and i started to move very fast in terms of my evolution and you know, most people practice Transcendental Meditation for 20 minutes in the morning and as a preparation for their day. It's kind of like having a nap and a shower in one before you jump up and go about all your duties. It's a great way to start the day. Um, and then in the evening, they come home from their duties and then they, they wash off the day's stress and get fresh and nice to enjoy their family life and social life and things they do before bed and then slip into a nice sleep. That's kind of how people approach TM. But as I said, I, I wanted something much more than what I was seeing everybody else in the world doing, even the meditators. Mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted so much depth, <clears throat> so much clarity. I wanted real mastery, mastery of intuition, mastery of thinking. So I, 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 I deepened my practice by going on retreats where you can do it for more of the day. And I realized in that process that there's a university in Iowa where all the students, staff, and faculty all practice Transcendental Meditation. I went there on a retreat. And it's called Maharishi Institute. Ma Maharishi Inter in International University. International University. It's named after the founder, the, the teacher of TM, who brought it out of obscurity from the mountains of India. It's an ancient technique. For millennia, it's been there. But, of course, nobody knew, and it was just lost amongst a few monks in the Himalayas. He's the one that brought it to all the cities around the world. 
So I went there as a student and I discovered an incredible community of creativity and supportiveness and just life. Everyone's there is unique. Imagine having a field of flowers, every kind of flower, daffodil, rose, tulip, you know, the works, and you just somehow pump sap into the soil. If you had that ability to just pump abstract sap into the soil, what would happen? They would all just blossom in their uniqueness. The daffodil gets more daffodil-like and the marigold puts out more marigold smell and the rose is even rosier color. It's like that. That community was just lit and everybody was so different. We weren't all becoming the same monk person. We were just becoming who each one of us was. And I, I was so happy there. And I, after the year of classes, I specialized in the flagship major, which is called the science, what used to be called the science of creative intelligence, which is just long-winded way of saying consciousness. I majored in consciousness. You can major in other things, different kinds of healthcare. Um, they used to be electrical engineering. They've got computer science. There's a host, math, physics, a whole host of traditional subjects and some alternative subjects. Sustainable living, I understand, is quite popular nowadays. Um, but I specialized in consciousness, and I took classes to get a degree in the science of creative intelligence. And you did mention that in that university, right, they focus, they have you focus in one class for a month. Yeah, it's a block system. So rather than having six different subjects a day, and at the end of you know a semester, you've got credits in each of those different subjects, you do one subject, like, for example, physics, for the whole month. And after the month, you've got your two or three credits in physics, and then you're done with that and then the next month, the next subject. So you can really focus on it. You don't feel divided. You don't have to shift your brain from philosophy to chemistry in the same hour. Yeah, which I think is a good approach because like we're just, you know, these human beings in a university and every sort of information is cramped, you know, in our brain in a day. Mm. Anyway. It's hard not to feel scattered. I mean, not to mention our phones and all the other things that are scattering us, but the block system is nice. So, Studying consciousness, it was extremely satisfying. I felt like my life was being fulfilled for what I wanted out of it, what I came here for. And But it also led me to deepen my approach to the development of my own consciousness. So I ended up dropping out of the, even that university, which was <laughs> the first time I found a fulfilling educational institution of any kind. I dropped out of even that because I discovered the opportunity to join a program that was designed for men and women to, I mean, nowadays people go by other genders too, and I'm sure they're included also. But back then we called it programs for men and women to develop consciousness as a full-time profession. Hmm. So, for example, the last class I had was called Higher States of Consciousness. And the thesis of that class is it's not in the book, in any book. You can't study about higher states of consciousness and end up with a higher state of consciousness. It may help clarify things and validate experiences and help one choose one's way and even develop techniques and practice things that help a lot. But it, in essence, it doesn't directly deliver a higher state of consciousness. So what does deliver a higher state of consciousness? I mean, that's a subject matter that's long enough for another whole podcast, and we can do that. But... Yes. The, the thesis was, it's not in the books. And I took that to heart very deeply. So I stopped studying books, and I started studying my consciousness, my internal experience as a full-time duty. 
and I joined the men. They, they, they do segregate by gender um, because it just helps to focus, just like the block system helps focus. It helps to focus when you're not worried about how you look or being tempted to get into a romantic relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a doctrine of, of you know, guilt <laughs> around sexuality like we find often in Western traditions. It was just a simple matter of, of focus and keeping people as focused as possible. And so in that spirit, I became celibate and joined all men only. Um, there was at the time a couple of hundred of them in the town in Iowa where that university was. The group has been all over the world and lived in different facilities and they do move from time to time. But at the time, they happened to be in that same city where the university was. So I just, you know, moved my room like a mile away and took myself out of being a student and put myself into this program. The name of it is Purusha, P-U-R-U-S-H-A dot org. You can look it up if you're interested. And there's the equivalent for women, and they call it, in this country, they call it Mother Divine. It's probably motherdivine.org or something like that. But just to be clarified, this is not, because that's one of the questions that people ask me, if it's like a sectarian kind of meditation. Like people ask if it's associated with, you know, a religion. It, ha it has its roots in what we call religion, or even predating religion. It was pre-Hinduism, ancient India, but from a time before anybody used the word Hinduism. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a tradition of knowledge, a way of living, an understanding, you know, technologies and techniques that were preserved amongst those who are responsible to, to preserve them and teach them. Um, it, it, it has certain components that look like religion to people, like if you dress a certain way, which we, we weren't required to, you can dress however we want. Um, but to sit in meditation, people associate with monks, and so they associate that with the, the traditions of religions that, that advocate doing things that monks do, like sitting and meditating. But it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't religious. There was people in the Purusha program with me who were from every country and every religion. There was Buddhists there, there was, you know, Arabs, um, there was Christians, there was Hindus. There was atheists, if you can imagine, just people who were just talking about the laws of nature and the intelligence in the laws of nature, but not thinking of it as a sentient being. It, it did, and it really didn't matter. What we had in common was the techniques, the practice, mm -hmm. not some kind of philosophy. We did learn from Maharishi. He was the course leader. It's a very lucky kind of retreat at the time because the founder of it was the course leader. And so he would call us up and we would talk and he would ask us about our experiences and clarify things and validate things so we would know where we had gone off or where we were in the right direction and we learned a lot of philosophy from him um, which one could take or leave as they chose but you know people found it extremely helpful for their evolutionary path and I grew tremendously I probably shaved literally thousands and thousands of years off my evolution compared to if I had not done that 15 years of being involved in that program. So there, right there I'm revealing a bit about my own you know, philosophy, if you call it religion, to believe in reincarnation or, or not, it, it doesn't matter. I, I do subscribe to the idea of, that we reincarnate as souls into bodies over and over. But there was plenty of people in Perusia who didn't you know, subscribe to reincarnation. Not the majority, but there was some, and it, just, it was irrelevant. So that's to answer your question about religion. So yeah, um, 
so you went on and became like a celibate monk. Mm. Was there anything, you know, different about it? Like in terms of how it affected you being that you're celibate? I know you mentioned that, you know, like men and women were, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't want to use the word segregate, but yeah, in a way. But we weren't we were physically, in, yeah. we weren't physically near each other. So it was just like that. It's just, they're miles and miles away. They could have even been in a different state. At one point, the men's, you can call it ashram, it just means a place where they gather and practice, you know, techniques to develop and to further evolution. The men's ashram was in one state and the women's ashram was in a different state. But it, at the time when I joined, we were in the same city, but miles apart. Okay. So now, um, are we ready to talk about TM? I think, of course, briefly uh, touched on it already. I mean, I shouldn't even say briefly, but we've already touched on it. Um, <clears throat> so you taught um, TM in New York for a good amount of time. Um, yeah, New York City. I taught for five years. Tell us more about that. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people seem to have this idea, I guess not just about teaching TM, but more like about TM. Because people ask me or they they ask me, right? Like, oh, so you meditate. And the f most common thing <laughs> that I hear is like, oh, I can't hear. I can't meditate. It's just too hard. I can't clear my mind. Uh -huh. I can't focus. I can't stay in place. Yeah. That's because of the effect of media and just, you know, how knowledge gets lost. And even before modern forms of media and mass communication, there was still this phenomenon that knowledge gets lost. You know, when a teacher teaches a student, the teacher teaches from their level of consciousness and the student learns from their level of consciousness. And if the student is the student, it's, it's by definition less developed, less masterful than the teacher's at least on the topics that are being taught. So the, the student receives it in a lesser form, and they may grow across decades and become like their teacher, hopefully, fully, but it tends to be that a little bit gets dropped off, and then they teach it in a slightly diluted form than, than their teacher had it, and then their students dilute it. And each generation that goes by, knowledge gets diluted and diluted and diluted, and that's, that's really the fate of all knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we don't just end up as quivering blobs of protoplasm, <laughs> backwards evolution, is because nature is kind and throws us a bone and, and saints and masters incarnate somehow. They just, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's almost like divine intervention. Masters come. You know, we had Buddha, we had Jesus, we had Krishna, we had, you know, Moses, all the great leaders of all the great traditions. How did they get like that? It was beyond what they got from their teacher. Somehow they just had a pure enough nervous system to cognize the truth of nature and of life and the mechanics of evolution and not only master themselves, but the further developed state to be able to pass it on. There's lots of people who are awake and what we could call enlightened. You know, they're hidden away. We don't think of them being all over the place, but they are. They just tend to be very quiet and hidden away, tucked in all the nooks and crannies of society. But the, those who can not just have it for themselves, but give it to somebody else in a way that the receiver can actually receive it and actually make practical use of it and not just feel talked at, that's rare. That's a great seer. That's what that title, Maharishi, means, my teacher. Rishi means a seer in Sanskrit, someone who sees the truth. Maha means great. So Maha 
you know, a, a prefix to that title is reserved for those who not just have it, but can pass it on. And those Maharishis, like Buddha, Jesus, Krishna, etc., were, they, they're, they're, it's just a lucky thing. And then knowledge gets restored in different ways, depending on the laws of nature of the land and the culture where they are and the time of history where they are. So, of course, Christianity has different flavors from Buddhism, but, you know, close to the source, close to the time when the master was, was experiencing those peaks and teaching those peaks and the students were being lit up and drawn towards those peaks for themselves, they're, they're very similar. Um, maybe not on, in the way you see it on the surface, but in terms of the essence of it. For example, you'll find that pretty much all of them say the same thing in that to enrich life, you turn within. You, you turn your attention away from the outer things that we care about and are important, and we turn it towards inside, and we nourish that inner place, and it, it synergizes with that attention, and different techniques can help that to varying degrees, like TM does. And then we come out, having been restored and elevated internally, we come out and we find our external life is enriched. That's a universal teaching. That's in all of them, all the religions, all the traditions. So, so I forgot the question. Yeah. <laughs> what did you so, ask? So yeah, like um, the 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 common I was saying how oh, a lot of people right, the common right. thing that I hear is, oh, I can't focus. I, I can't, it. you know. Yeah. Right. So the the fate of knowledge is that people have ended up thinking in modern times in mass that meditation means you have to control. You have to control your mind. You have to stop thinking. You have to cause that state of purity and clarity by some kind of doing. And it's, it's actually completely antithetical to what TM is. TM is, is spontaneous, effortless transcending. The effortless and automatic reduction of mental and physical activity. You can't reach that place of least excitation, least activity by doing. It's, it's, it's the opposite. It's just like trying to fall asleep. Have you ever tried to fall asleep? You just wake yourself up. That activity of trying is an increase of activity in the mind and therefore also in the body. So what we do is a very simple, effortless mental technique that does allow the mind to settle and settle. And to describe how that works, I would need a good 10-15 minutes. I don't know if we want to do that now, Kat. We can that'll you know dominate the flavor of the podcast for a while if I talk about we how we can that... probably have another podcast on that um, but just to briefly explain and I think I'm allowed to um, like TM like I practice the I don't know if I should say like the basic form if that's how it's described but like I'm quote unquote like an entry level transcendental meditation practitioner I meditate like John said 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night and when i'm on flights i do more meditation in between or somewhere else where i'm just like sitting and bored and whatnot um but what i wanted to say is like like or ask or talk about like 20 minutes why is it enough to have just 20 minutes of meditation because people like have this or and even like not just a misconception or you know or notion right but actually some people who practice other forms of meditation have to sit there for like an extended duration of time in, in a corner, in a quiet room and whatnot. But with TM, 20 minutes seem to be enough or does, I shouldn't even say seem, but it is enough to do it. And I can even do it in the middle of like 
a busy airport, like at the gates and gives me this restfulness and, you know, like clearer mind after I come out. And why is that? I, you might have already like briefly touched on that, but if, why in that 20 minutes? Well, it's a, you know, media portrays meditation as something that you have to force and control and become a master of in order to even practice rather than the practice leads to the mastery. And they also propagate other myths like it has to be done in a quiet place. And another myth is it has to be done in a certain posture. Now, it's true that we do TM sitting, so in that sense we do need to posture, but it's just any comfortable sitting posture. It doesn't have to be sitting in lotus pose, or you have to, don't have to be sitting straight up so your spine is perfectly straight, etc. No, we just sit. We don't even bother about how we're sitting. We just sit comfortably. Comfort's important, because if you're not comfortable, you're distracted by that discomfort. Um, that tends to bring the mind out. But noises, like in an airport or subway, they don't tend to interfere. I mean, if a dog is jumping on you and licking your face, you'd want to relocate to a place where the dog is not going to be an influence. Um, if you're babysitting and you actually have to watch the kids and mm -hmm. you're trying to meditate, but you're actually one ear is open checking for screams and stabbings <laughs> or God knows what, it's not a good time to meditate. If you want to listen to the basketball scores with part of your mind while you meditate with the other part of your mind, you're distracted. As long as you're free to practice, you've actually given yourself the time and the space so that you don't have to watch something or monitor something. The environment can be just utter chaos and noise and just, you know, movement. It doesn't matter because you're free. And what you do with your freedom is you just favor the mental, simple, effortless mental technique that is TM. And it has its effects, which, you know, we can get into in some other time allow the mind to settle very spontaneously. And when the mind settles, the body settles. They go together. Mind and body always function together. And you don't have to, you know, like, quote, unquote, clear your mind either, right, to practice mm -hmm. this meditation. No, no, it, it clears itself. Because that is also the other thing that I often hear, that people can't meditate because they can't clear their mind, which to me is, now that I practice TM, it's hard to explain, you know, without divulging the 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 technique or you know because i'm not in the position to do that but yeah that is and it's hard to explain to these people how <clears throat> in the practice of tm you don't have to clear your mind just so you can meditate no you just we just take it easy during tm we take it as it comes sometimes we find ourselves getting so settled and forgetting where our body is and and find ourselves even not thinking aware but not thinking anything other times we find ourselves thinking a lot. Thoughts are part of the TM practice. And when you take a course of TM, you'll find out what that is, why it's some kinds of experiences happen at some time, and at other times other kinds of experience happen. They're all, excuse me, if they're effortless, if they happen without trying to make it happen, then they're all included as valid experiences that happen during TM. Which brings me back to that other thing that I mentioned, when I often mention here in the podcast, we are a lot of like the great ideas or good ideas I have for like topics or I come up with the best um, solutions to specific problems during meditation and people are probably like, um, why? You're supposed to have a clear mind, which, oh, yeah, you already touched on like, you know, if, if they, they come in spontaneously, then it is what it is or something. But 
a lot of the great ideas and you know solutions to problems I have happen or come to me when I'm meditating and then of course I, I always tell you this that often I forget them so you've told me like to sometimes like if, if it's re- like you know put a rubber band or you know a hair tie around my finger just so I don't forget them but why is that why why do these things the mind settles to a very settled place and it's just like the ocean when the ocean is active it makes waves and if you're st- standing in that activity of the waves choppy everywhere rising and falling if you look you won't see very far your vision is blocked by this wave or the next or the next but if the ocean activity settles down your vision reaches the horizon it becomes infinite in every direction you can see as far as there is to see and the mind is like that as we settle during the transcending process it becomes very clear very holistic and unbounded and it's from that place that deep settled place of wholeness that our best thoughts come when a thought begins it begins at a very deep level it's like a bubble rising up on the ocean imagine deep in the ocean there's a tiny tiny little bubble and it rises and as it rises up it gets bigger and bigger and as the pressure reduces and it reaches the surface of the ocean it pops that's kind of like how thought is during tm it begins as a very faint impulse from a very unbounded place and most of us are not aware on those deeper levels of our mind because we haven't been exposed to those deep levels while we've been awake so we don't have that habit of noticing the thought and as the thought rises it gets more expressed and more concrete more specific and we gradually become aware of it you've all had this experience imagine when you were trying to remember the name of something or someone maybe you went to a restaurant with a friend and then six months later your friend is like wait what's the name of that restaurant and you're like oh yeah I know it but hang on it's on the tip of my tongue that means you're experiencing the thought like halfway up from the bottom of the ocean to the surface and you know it's coming you know the thought is going to come up to the surface enough where you can pick it up and speak it out but it hasn't yet reached there so that's learning to pick up the thought on a deeper level or experiencing it you know as it's you know halfway developed and with tm we reverse that process instead of experiencing a thought going from the bottom of the ocean to the top we learn through the technique how to pick up a thought on the surface of the ocean and think it in a way that allows it to settle to deeper and deeper levels it's like riding the bubble down deep into the ocean and by doing that enough over and over week after week day after day we train our mind to be aware on those deeper levels and then you can pick up thoughts on a deeper level and that's what intuition means intuition is just thought picked up on a very subtle level so the cat's talking about her inspirations and intuitions coming they, they, they just pop in her head when she's meditating, but with enough practice, that phenomenon will not be reserved to meditation. You'll have 24-7 access to those deeper levels of your mind. And I, I, I really want to talk about a lot more things, a lot of things here on the podcast, but I should start wrapping this up. But the other important thing that I, I touched on and have mentioned, and you know, at the start of this podcast and in a lot of my posts um, on social media that meditation has certainly helped me in the way I respond to things and how the other stressors in my life that used to bother me so much and you know affect me mentally like pull me down or whatnot they've pretty much 
become easier to handle through meditation. And I, I, I am sure I have like the answer to this already at this point. Well, I, I have the answer to this at this point, but I, I'd like for people to hear it from you why this happens, why our perceptions and, you know, reaction and change but just through like consistent practice of meditation. If we're restricted to the surface of our mind, like in that, you know, analogy we were using of the mind being like the ocean and looking at the cross section of the ocean or the cross section of the mind with the surface of the mind being a very active place, very reactive place, um, and the depth being not so reactive and ultimately utter silence at the bottom of the ocean. If one is spending all one's time on the top layer, then every, every event, every experience is met with that immediacy of it. You know, the, the, the threat or gain, everything is seen as for me or against me, or, you know, in some other kind of reactive, through some reactive lens. But when we're operating with a greater range of our mind, and it really means also a greater range of our emotional experience, greater range of our spiritual experience, physical experience, the stress hormones are less. They tend to be much lower in meditators in general, not just when they're meditating. Um, their emotional maturity tends to be greater. The ability to think in different ways. You know, you someone comes and attacks you, and you could, I don't mean physically like with a knife, but just like verbally attacks. Then when we're operating on a very narrow surface bandwidth, we may just fight back and just swear and turn them off, run away, but or lash back. But if we have a big range of mind available to us, we may just realize, you know, that guy, he looks like he's having an awful day. <laughs> Maybe he didn't sleep well. Mm. Maybe his wife just left him or, or something happened to his kid or who knows what, you know. Just the, that ability to step back and take perspective and realize that there's a whole range of possibilities about what's going on. It may not be about us at all. We may not need to defend ourselves. We could even say something that supports the man and he instantly settles down, realizing that we're a source of nourishment to him. So TM, it just gives that access to the deeper parts of ourself and those deeper parts of ourself, they become the resources with which we can work with. And it's, it's spontaneous. We don't try to become nicer people. Trying to become a nicer person, it may have some effect, but it's nothing compared to the automatic niceness <laughs> that we gain by transcending regularly and i think I've, i think i've become nicer <laughs> in a way like mm -hmm. what you said without even trying um so yeah like i said i we could totally like talk about many other things um here in this episode but i i i'll reserve that for another episode i guess with john in the future and thank you so much for being here and talking about TM and your experience. And, you know, he hasn't had lunch yet, so we're going to try to do that as soon as um, we've wrapped up this um, episode. But thank you. Mm, a pleasure. Nice to be here. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Um, I hope you picked up some good points about um, TM. And if you are interested in learning more about um, transcendental meditation they do have um how do you call this session um intro sessions that are free yeah free informational sessions to just expose one to what it is and you can find out in an educated way if it's something that you would like to do and what's involved in learning and how to go about it 
and tm.org sorry to interrupt you tm.org is the website and you can set your intro up even from there to, and, and you from there you'll find where the center is in your local community and what's involved to connect with them and we're not being paid by tm just so you know we're doing this because we want to share the benefits of meditating with all of you all right thanks so much for listening here um eat meditate live and i will see you or talk to you or talk at you (laughs) next week again um thanks so much for joining us and have a great weekend bye